As a chef, I am the last person who gets to speak to the ingredients before they make their way to your plate and your table. I am honored to be the one to tell their story and give you the nourishment that they are meant to provide. Chef Elena Terry. You know when you hear something like this, the whole conversation is going to be something that's going to stay with you for a very long time. I am so excited to welcome Chef Elena Terry of Wisconsin's Ho-Chunk Nation to the Culturally Ours podcast. Chef Elena is an indigenous chef and the founder of a non-profit called Wildberries, whose mission is to help connect communities through indigenous food and bring ancestral foods to the forefront. I met Chef Elena at a food event in Wisconsin where she cooked for us and I got to hear firsthand her connection with food, indigenous culture and her food journey. Even before I walked away from that meal, I knew I had to speak to her again. The entire conversation with Chef Elena is one of how foods can heal, how foods can nourish, not just the people who are eating, but also the person who is cooking it and how food is a vessel for bringing people together. She talks about how the indigenous food movement is one of healing and helping break down barriers and connect one another despite all our collective struggles. We also talked about the ancestral seed and how they are such an integral part of preserving our country's history and narrative. Seeds that are passed down from generation to generation can keep the story going forward and help us connect to our past so beautifully. She says that every ingredient has a destiny and the people, the growers, who help it along its journey deserve our utmost respect. When I asked Chef Elena how people like you and me can help support the indigenous food movement, what she said really blew me away. She said the best way to support us is to really educate yourself. Come to the table with an open mind and a willingness to learn. Nearly every part of this country has indigenous history. So as you pass through, learn about them. She also mentioned several organizations, just like Wildberries, that work in the indigenous food space, and I have listed them in the show notes for your reference. It was such a pleasure to speak with Chef Elena, and I'm beyond grateful that our paths crossed this summer in Wisconsin. If you've ever wanted to learn about indigenous foods, you don't want to miss this conversation. I know I'm going to keep coming back to it over and over again. Welcome to Culturally Ours, a show where we explore global cultural diversity in an intimate way through conversations and narratives around lifestyle, culture, food, art, and travel. Host Karthika Gupta talks to people from all over the world who have intimately experienced different cultures as a way to understand each other's worlds from the inside out, focusing on what we have in common. Welcome, Chef Elena. Thank you so much for joining me on Cultural Yards. I am so very excited to have you on the podcast, and I cannot wait to chat with you, get to know you a little bit better, and just get get to know your corner of the world a little bit better. Yes, good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we begin, could you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, just to help set the stage for our chat? Sure. So I'm Elena Terry. I am a chef out of Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin. I'm a member of the Ho-Chunk Nation, and um, 
I've been cooking my entire life, but professionally around 12 years or so. Okay. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about sort of your food journey. I know you mentioned you've been cooking your whole life, but professionally as a chef for 12 years, what made you kind of move away and more into the professional realm? Uh, I think it's just been this deep connection that I've always had with our food. Um, I've always enjoyed the movement of kitchens and uh, it's just been for me, a great path of healing and reconnecting to myself and my spirit and just really being able to trust the journey of something that I'm passionate about doing and and believing in where it takes me is where I'm supposed to be. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about sort of your cooking style. I know you said it's uh, it's a it's there's healing and it's you know kind of your your guiding your spirit is guiding you so where do you get your inspiration in terms of you know the dishes that you make the ingredients and and I know I came across you uh what less than a month ago when you fed us your amazing food um at an event in Wisconsin so talk to me a little bit sort of about your process if you will Sure. So I began uh, as as a young girl cooking with my grandmother and my great grandmother, and um, for for us, it was really a well for me coming from a very large family. Uh, it, it was a time where I could spend you know one on one time with these incredible matriarchs that I just idolized, mm -hmm. and if it was going to pick a certain plant or if it was processing an animal, all of it had a very deep spiritual connection for me. Like there was, it wasn't just do this. It was mm. explained, like we are honoring this animal who's going to provide for us or these plants are ready right now. So we're going to take this day off and go get them. And there was always, it was a priority, obviously, you know, to, to feed your family and, and to care for everything as much as it was caring for you and to really make sure that there were prayers involved and mindfulness and intention in cooking. And that started from sourcing those ingredients. And so my entire life, I, I've always really enjoyed going to um, our ceremonies or religious functions and supporting, uh, you know, people who are really trying to be better for themselves with mm -hmm. this incredibly nourishing meals that even if I could contribute a little bit, I, I benefited from the process. And so it kind of was something that was always a part of my life. And then I worked in, uh, you know, a corporate restaurant for quite some time. And, and I absolutely loved that atmosphere as well, because it was constant movement. And I got to learn a lot about the technicalities and you know the the regulations for food and stuff and one day i i just decided that i didn't want to live in these two worlds mm. i wanted to you know do what i love doing with the food and ingredients that i loved being around and um, making that shift changed everything for me and it really helped me not only get grounded and appreciate my surroundings and the space that I was in, but it also connected me to all these people that were doing similar work on whatever level. You know, as a chef, I, I always say that I have the best job because I am 
the last person to speak for these ingredients and I get to have these friendships and these relationships for all the people that help me source these incredible ingredients Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, it just is this incredible, beautiful community of people doing similar work in these areas that they love being in. If it's growing or fishing or hunting or cooking, you know, it's all about supporting each other and then being able to make this incredible plate of food from it. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you were talking, I was just thinking back to when I was growing up. Uh, so my mom's grandmother, so I guess my great grandmother, um, I never met her. She passed away about a month or so before I was born. But I remember my mom saying that she would um, have a bath uh, really early in the morning, like 4.30 in the morning. And my mom came from a really big family and they all lived together. Um, and she would have a bath and in her kind of wet clothes, I guess it's just a very um, Indian thing to do. She would cook the meals in, in wearing those wet clothes because having a bath is kind of like purifying yourself. And she wanted to have that, um, those vibes and that energy when she's making food for the family. And, it, you know, we're talking about 15, 20 people in the house and she would she would take an hour or so and in those wet clothes. But then that was for her very spiritual and you know all the all the energy and the vibes that she was when and she was chanting while she was cooking and stuff would go into the food so she would make the best food the the purest form of food for her family when you were talking about you know the being a part of the ceremony and and kind of you know using enriching ingredients to better yourself i kind of just thought about that story and i was like wow there's this it's sort of similar <laughs> yeah it's a great sense of connection to to so much more and in putting those good feelings yeah. into that food you can't help but nourish people differently you know we don't even cook if we're not feeling good or in in that frame of mind then maybe it's a day for us to to enjoy the meal and yeah. to eat it and to consume it maybe we need the nourishment differently but um it is it is a very spiritual process for me as well and i i love hearing that you know, I think it's something that is, uh, it's, it's cross-cultural. It's, yeah. it, it, it's something from, you know, different spaces and there's, we are all consumers in some way, you know, we all have to eat and it's how we choose to do that. Mm-hmm. That can change everything for us. Absolutely. And we're, you know, somewhere deep down, we're all even interconnected, right? I mean, there are so many different cultures around the world. But if you really dig down and you kind of try to find these little narratives, so there's so much of similarity, there's so much of overlap. It might not be the exact same thing, but the concept is there. The concept of food as, you know, something that's nourishing, the concept of kind of really caring for the environment or caring for the ingredients or where they come or being mindful, like you said, when you harvest an animal, you know, what is what are you getting out of that? It's there. It's just that there's so many other complexities and layers. We kind of lose focus, <laughs> and we kind of say it's you know your world versus my world. That's that's not true. Well, anyway, I digress. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about sort of what are your um, favorite dishes to make and maybe to eat if they're not the same or maybe they are the same. I think that's a loaded question. <laughs> For me, uh, I think what 
it, it just is the day. I feel like every meal that I make is my newest favorite meal. You know, there are definitely comfort foods that I, mm -hmm. I feel a little bit more connected to, but uh, it, it's these ingredients. I, I keep going back to it because I, I do cook with our indigenous foods, being a mm -hmm. Native American, and uh, I might say uh, I know that for the meal I cooked for you guys, I talked about my good friend Jack and this wild rice that he provides. It's my one of my favorite bites in the whole world. And it's not because it's so distinctly different from other wild rice, but it's from Jack, my yeah. good friend who's a tribal elder from northern Minnesota who goes out and harvests with his grandsons and teaches them how to traditionally do that and traditionally process it. And it's just every time I have that rice, I think of him and it, you know, you can't help but feel good knowing that that is continuing and that by me being able to have this rice is, is proving that it will not only be there for me and my children, but his grandchildren will continue those traditions on. And I think that every time I come across a new ingredient like that, I, it's very important for me to find the story of the source and to know the people. And and it becomes that much more valuable to my spirit when I have those meals, you know, mm. we talk about comfort foods and I think every culture has their own kind of food that it, it doesn't have to be, you know, this multi-course, uh, you know, fancy meal. It's, it's the comfort that comes from these foods that connect. And so for me, I can't, I can't really say that I have a, a favorite dish because I feel like that's constantly changing based mm. on the day and what's available. And, you know, when, when you talk about harvesting or foraging your foods, which is a very strong component of the work that I do, uh, it's, it's going out and finding that and getting grounded and spending the time to care for those plants that is comforting for me. And so for really it's, what can I provide for you that is going to make you feel that same kind of connection from a bite? And yeah. those are my favorite meals, you know. And and the wild rice was incredible. <laughs> it was so delicious. And I'm a rice eater. <laughs> it was just beyond. I mean, I had never tasted anything like it. And I, and you're so right. It's the the associate like if by itself if it was you know put in front of me I would be like oh yeah this is really great it's delicious but when there is that narrative and that story and your passion in talking about the story as well as preparing it and you know presenting it in such a beautiful way it just solidifies that connection so much more it just makes it's just you know it's like yeah. something coming out of you and really connecting on a very um I don't know, soul to soul, emotional sort of a level. And that makes it even more special. Hey there, I hope you are enjoying this episode of Culturally Ours. Did you know there are so many wonderful resources, articles, and blog posts on the website to extend your Culturally Ours experience? We also have a library of free resources like a travel guide to some of the most culturally diverse places around the world, a global kitchen essentials cheat sheet, and so much more. Head on over to culturallyars.com forward slash free to grab these and be sure to check back often as we're constantly adding more resources just for you. Now, let's get back to the episode. 
But talk to me about comfort food. You you kind of alluded to this a little bit. <laughs> I know for me, comfort food is something that, you know, more like memories as well as like the actual dish. But I want to know what is comfort food for you and sort of what are your comfort foods? Yeah, for me, I mean, I absolutely love corn and and not in the sense like a sweet corn that you would get at the end of summer, although that is incredibly delicious and I love it. <laughs> but the corn that we grow, you know, we have ancestral corn that those seeds have maintained their genetics and their purity for centuries and they connect us to ceremonies. And those are the times that I remember having them as a child. And now being able to have people grow that same corn for me and process it the way that I used to process it with my grandma. All I can think of is in the middle of winter making a soup with root vegetables and squash and that corn and and knowing that that corn I processed with my child and, and my grandma and we sat outside around the fire and and took time to have these conversations about remember this or Mm -hmm. remember when I was young and my grandmother had me do that and and being able to say like even though I might not physically be able to be with her in the winter that we cared for this corn together and the soup is so nourishing you know Mm. I mean I can eat soup any day (laughs) I love soup but in the winter when you have those those vegetables that hold a little bit more or my favorite ingredient uh, is squash. And I really feel like it's underutilized because there's so many different varieties with so many different textures. Uh, That's a whole other kind of comfort for me is uh, just being able to have access to all of those things and, and being able to combine all of that into a bowl, into a bite like that, that would probably be my favorite. And it, I don't think it is even consistent in the kind of, you can add any kind of meat or any extra supplements right. or seasonings. But when you have those bases and like the corn and the squash or the beans, you can make all these incredibly comforting, but deeply nourishing meals. Mm. And, and those are my favorites, I think. Yeah. We do eat a lot of, soup in our ceremonies also and and I think it just brings me to that space yeah that makes sense now you talked about this when we met and when we had the meal with you Um, you have a non-for-profit wild berries can you talk a little bit about what it is and sort of what was your motivation for starting this yeah so wild berries is it it is constantly evolving but it did start as a, a community outreach way to bring people from my community back to our community through food. So the participants in Wild Berries are are people overcoming alcohol and other drug abuse issues or emotional traumas, which I feel is a is a great umbrella because we have all been affected by some in some way by these uh, things, you know. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody at this point in our lives in in this point in the world is uh, exempt from those mm-hmm. kinds of very broad uh, relations. And and I've always viewed food as this beautiful vessel. You know, it can transport you to different times and places, but it can also bring people together. 
through in these incredible ways. And so we started by doing uh, catering in our community and having participants come and help prepare these meals and then be able to, uh, you know, stand behind these meals and, and feeding and sharing and building community. And then it just evolved from there into um agriculture and gardens and community growing spaces and really just saying that uh, you know without judgment we all have struggles in life Mm -hmm. but food is a wonderful way to share and to break down barriers and to really take pride not only in our culture but in our space within the community and I'd have to say you know on uh, for me I am the first wild berry I was the first one that came back to my community through food and being able to represent myself by sharing in that way and providing meals. And so it's just been this wonderful journey and I, and I can't wait to see how much more we're able to uh, build up our food security, our Mm. food sovereignty and our community through uh, these efforts of the participants in in wild berries and it it isn't exclusive to ho-chunks or uh, native americans either we have wild berries that are non-native that are just there to support and to really be connected on the way that we're able to do that i love how you call them wild berries (laughs) (laughs) um it just it, it just brings a very I don't know, I have a smile on my face and I just, a, a different, like my mind goes to a different space when I think of a person in this, in, you know, in this program as a wild berry, because there's so much beauty in that. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of growing, I mean, for myself, yeah. I can only speak for myself, but for, for me, there's been a lot of growth in, in being able to say, you know, there's, we all have these imperfections, but yeah. uh, there are also these in, universal things that we we face just as humans in today's world and making small mindful changes can change these small ripples turn into giant waves of change and it's been I'm, I'm blessed to have or to be able to witness that you know and not only with myself but with other participants and, and community members that have been connected through these meals or through growing community and and it's just it's wonderful I really do feel feel blessed for it amazing now you are a big proponent of this whole seat to table you talked about this earlier as well can you share a little bit about this project and maybe some of the success stories that you've had with this whole seat to table movement program yeah so for me if I really want to be authentic and and have these meals, which is our end goal, but it isn't, you know, something that we can achieve right now today. It's a slow foods is an understatement. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) When when you have people growing your food, because I can't go to the store and buy what I want, you know, that, or, or, these ingredients are are very hard to come by and I do have to have people grow specifically for me to be able to have that and so if I want that ancestral corn I have to plan that a year two years three years ahead so that I'll have enough Mm. not only enough for me but enough for my community and 
and then beyond that, you know, for my for myself and my family, my immediate community, but also the greater communities that we live in. And so seat to table is is really saying, you know, some of these seeds are protected and they are I, I would only have certain people grow for them. But then there are this is this next level of seed where it's a little bit more accessible to the greater population and I have different people growing that for me. Mm. And it's keeping the integrity of that plant so that it's it doesn't get, you know, crossed with something that would be a GMO modified or right. you know have have different kinds of change. So it's very mindful and planned out what what I have grown and then the people that grow it. And it's it's wonderful because I feel like we all do have this space in our food systems and we all do relate on to a different area, whatever that might be. And the people that I have growing for me are these I am so appreciative that they're doing the work that they're doing because without them doing that and having the passion that they do, I would never be able to do my job the way that I want to do it. And so it's really supporting each other and saying, if you grow it, I will buy it or I will get it sourced out for you just to mm -hmm. support what you're doing. And it's it's even a, a greater struggle for them, especially with all the environmental issues that we've had to face and being able to maintain the integrity of that pure seed. So uh, that is, that's a whole other conversation, but <laughs> it really is something that if I have a way to use my voice to support the work that's being done agriculturally, not just in my area, but across the nation to shift our food systems, then yeah. I will stand up and speak as loud as I can, because I think that it's a underappreciated job. And for me, it's, it's crucial that they continue the work that they're doing. And I think that we all need to stop and, and look at where our food is coming from. Yeah, this is, um, when I, you know, when I was thinking about the questions that I wanted to ask you, this definitely was front and center, because I remember you saying, you talking about, um, somebody who, a squash, or was it, I think it was a squash that, that came from, from mid, the Midwest and traveled um, to the West, and then it came back to the Midwest. And I was just imagining this whole journey. Oh, that yeah, with the bean. Tiny, yeah, <laughs> yes, the bean. Uh, this journey, this, this seed must have had, and, you know, if, if only it had a voice, and the story, oh my, the stories it could tell, right? Right, <laughs> and it, it kind of does, you know, and it does have a voice, and it, I feel like it, it's able to communicate that with us when we cook it, and when we provide mm -hmm. it for our, our community or for this meals that we have and that it's able to fulfill its destiny you know we believe yeah. that it came to us for a reason to provide this unique nourishment and and we have to protect those seeds and when they grow the flavors they provide the the nutrition they provide that's one thing but the spiritual nourishment, knowing the resilience of that tiny little bean and being able to, so it, these beans, the, the one that you're talking about, it, we knew that we had grown. We have 
archaeological digs spots that have proven we had raised garden beds a thousand years ago in our area that we had were cultivators not just hunters and foragers mm. and those seeds like I said the corn or the bean they connect us not only to ceremony but to a time that was long ago and to the strength of our ancestors during that time and those seeds are living beings that I kind of like to think of as in are in this long slumber until you wake them up when you plant them mm. when you plant them with prayers and intention they grow to be these incredible beautiful plants with the the vegetables or the fruits that that show up it's just it's a beautiful process in itself and that's why I say I absolutely love my growers but this bean uh, had gone to a, a seed steward in Kentucky, and we had found, we had corn, uh, our Winnebago squash came back to us a few years ago, and we were thinking about how we, we had to have had a bean, right? The three right. sisters grow together, the corn, bean, and squash, and so it was like we reached out to all these different places where we thought this bean ancestral bean might exist and all of a sudden it it came to me it was mailed by my friend from Kentucky uh, his name is Chris and his grandfather was a seed steward and then his father was and and that just means that they kind of protected those seeds grew mm -hmm. them out periodically to make sure that they would still be alive and and fresh and um, he said oh I, I knew you were Ho-Chunk and I had this seed and when I opened it up, it was this beautiful bean. And on the package, it was this very detailed history of where that bean had been grown. And it was all of the places that our tribe had been moved from during the, the removals several hundred years ago. And that bean had provided for us. So mm. it was in Wisconsin to South Dakota to Wisconsin to Nebraska you know, and it, it had all these, it, this detail of its journey, and then it came home to us. So mm. we call that rematriating. I like to think that that seed kind of said, it's time and yeah. they're ready, so I'm going back. And so last year was the first year that seed was grown. And when I say like slow food is an understatement, I'm hoping that in three to five years, we'll be able to have that on a level where I will have some seeds to grow. And then another several years and we'll be able to have enough seed to share with our community to grow. So it is something that we're thinking, you know, it might not be for me, yeah. but my grandchildren will have this seed and they'll know that that seed brought me hope yeah. Yeah. And, and continuity and, you know, knowing that they will see us being able to overcome these struggles with the nourishment that that gave us, that bean, that one tiny little bean and how mm. much it planted in my heart, you know, when yes. it showed up. Yes. And, and, you know, it's funny. It's like generally people, we think about, okay, we, you know, we want to give money or we want to, you know, give property or something like that to our, like our children and our grandchildren. You are thinking about something so much more beautiful in, you know, it's like this hope and this ancestral, knowledge that you want to pass down you know it's probably not for you but then you're still continuing on doing it because 
it's going to be beneficial to your children and your grandchildren. So that's that's a beautiful thought, Chefalina. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It, I think that we, like I said, it's it's something that transcends cultural lines. I have mm. my sous chef for wild berries is actually um, an African American, mm. and he was able to go back to Africa and connect with some of his original food sources with the um, incredible chef Michael Twitty and um, Yusuf is his name. When he came back, it, there was this just wonderful new inspiration in him. And we were able to actually trace, track down, it, it, I shouldn't even say that, they were given to us, it came to us, some of these seeds for ingredients that helped our cultures provide for each other. You know, there was a time in history where natives and the black community had to rely on each other. Some are forced nomads and some are forced cultivators. Mm. And without those partnerships, we wouldn't have been able to, um, you know, continue or to be able to support in the way that we did. And because of that, these incredible new food sources birthed from from there Mm -hmm. right and so one of those things is this this aricara watermelon that was gifted to us and it's something that we're all growing out uh this year and it came from a time when the aricara people had to be moved and the the africans had brought the watermelons when i say that our seeds had to be saved by being sewn into our clothes or or Mm -hmm. read around the Africans that came over had to, you know, weave those seeds into their hair mm. because they didn't even have those things to sew them into. Right. And um, knowing that that watermelon seed came back to us now and in, in we're able to grow it, it kind of brings me back to a time of great strength and resilience and, um, you know, being able to really look out for each other and, I felt like after everything that happened last year, it was the most beautiful thing that this little watermelon seed came back to us and really said that in standing in solidarity and supporting each other, we can overcome and we can get this beautiful strength. And, you know, for me, that little seed represented all of that. Yeah. I mean, you're you're so right when you say that, you know, food and community are so interconnected um that is even beyond the surface there is so much that they kind of rely on each other and they kind of support each other how do you see um the indigenous food culture making its mark on like the bigger community and maybe both within the indigenous sphere as well as kind of outside in like the broader community that we live in well i think that there's a lot of education that happens and it's just that mindfulness of where your Mm -hmm. food comes from and how greatly that stretches into our environment, into our communities. You know, we can't source wild rice won't grow the same way in our area. I'm from the, the great lakes region. If the water temperature is wrong or if there's pollutants in the water and Um, There's a lot of activism going out to try and preserve and protect our waterways. And that is all, you know, trickles down to our food systems and our livelihood. And I feel like 
when we are a little bit more aware of that, and I'm I'm kind of blessed in this way to to have this indigenous knowledge because we do get our food from the land traditionally. Mm. You know, it wasn't something that we mass produced. It was something very valuable. And I think that when we can shift our consumption yeah. and be a little bit more aware of how greatly we are affecting our environment. And when I say that, I don't just mean, you know, the earth that we walk on. Our environment is also, uh, you know, our family and the people that we are around every day and interact with and the way those interactions happen. I'm not saying that everything needs to change right now, but for yeah. me, I'd like to be an example of what change can do. You know, yeah. I was a very unhealthy person. I was in an unhealthy relationship. It was, I was, you know, driving through and, and eating very fast paced, very not nutritional food. And it took a toll on my spirit. Hmm. And when I stopped and said, I have got to be better than this, you know, everything changed. The way I walked on the earth, the way I would ground myself from being in the woods. And, and then these wonderful foods started coming back into my life that I remembered from being a child and having these pure joy <laughs> memories of being with my grandmother, my great grandmother, and, and being able to close my eyes and remember that time that I spent with them from the smell of the trees or the way the grass felt, it was so much more. It opened up my heart, my mind. It it made me feel so much better. So for me, being able to connect on that way, I feel like we all have that ability to do once we yeah. stop and do it. Yeah. I mean, I still have to go through the drive through <laughs> once in a while. And <laughs> I do not beat myself up about it anymore because sometimes, you know, it, it's what has to be done in our our culture and, and even with my work, I'm on the road a lot, but it makes me value those other meals that much more. And it makes yeah. me want those meals more. And I think that when we can make that shift and be just slightly more mindful, I mean, everybody making that, it goes back to that ripple turning into a giant wave of change and saying that we need to be better so that our children have that option even right. or so that my grandchildren will be able to say, I know what wild rice tastes like because our water's cleaner than it was when my grandma was here. You know, being able to say that it's not about me, but it's about them. Mm. And how can I show them how to heal? Because we all will come across these emotional traumas at some point in our life. That's what life is. It's about Absolutely. growing. Yeah. And how can we do that? And and one thing, like I said, it's I'm absolutely blessed to be able to say I'm a chef. And I'm the one that speaks the last word for these ingredients before they end up on, on your plate or in your mouth. And to say that all of this intention and uh, thoughtfulness was put into this meal in hopes that you'll appreciate it on the same way that I do. Yeah. And maybe make those small changes because when we can shift, we can make a great deal of difference in our world and I think we need to look at the greater picture and how you know we shouldn't be isolated from each other and all of us can make these small changes no matter what space we walk in oh so beautiful <laughs> I have like goosebumps all over it. <laughs> 
So as as a follow-up to that, how can people like me or people who are listening to your interview kind of support you and your mission um, of you know connecting communities through indigenous cuisine? What can we do that can help that to help? Ah, I think educating yourself <laughs> is is a huge deal because uh, every you know every space in in the United States has indigenous people yeah. and, that are native to that area that are still there. <laughs> you know, I mean, we are all still here, and I think it's just realizing that you know we can support each other if it's going to the local farmers market you know that work needs to be supported and when you do that and you support those local growers it is part of our community and it is helping ensure that that work will continue and we don't have to go to these mass uh, gmo farms to food source our foods or it's saying um you know, I, I want to be part of a local cleanup in the park, or mm-hmm. I want to be able to remove these invasive species that have come. And and it happens all over the country in, in these small spaces. Uh, there are also, I know my friend in California participates in the Indigenous Red Market. There's all these different places where you can go to support the work that's being done, mm-hmm. even if it's going to the American Indian Foods Program. Um, or the Intertribal Agriculture Council, and purchasing some of these ingredients and, and opening your mind to trying that because that supports the local or the indigenous economies and the people continuing that work to provide for those food sources. So I really think the, the first step is about educating and about opening your mind to uh, some diversity, yep. but also realizing that our history is is not necessarily what we learned but there are people that carry that history that are still alive and continuing that work in all of our communities and how can we support each other because wild berries isn't about me it's about us yeah and it's about all of our communities and um, all of us healing through this incredible nourishment of food and and however it connects you culturally Mm. and i'll definitely link to some of the resources that you've mentioned um now this is more of a fun question than our last question so i think it's great to end it at this (laughs) um but if say you were to invite some people you admire the most in your life and you're going to cook for them um who are they and what would you serve and these they don't have to be famous people they can be just people in your lives but i would you know, as long as you're willing to share, I would love to know who would be sitting at your dinner table. Oh, uh, <laughs> I tried, you know, aside from my family, who I I love the meals when we can really get together and have, it's almost like a family reunion, right? Yeah, <laughs> because we yeah. do have such an incredible family. I feel like the family we choose also uh, you know, the the people that I call brothers and sisters in my movement, when we have a chance to sit down and share those meals, um, that's, that's the most beautiful time. Uh, I love Chef Sean Sherman. I'm actually in Minneapolis uh, working with him right now as he opens his new restaurant, which is, you know, something he's been dreaming of. Uh, I have a good friend, Tanya Brandt, who's from Six Nations in Canada, 
who every time I share a meal with her, I learn more about myself and uh, what I'm capable of. I mentioned um, my friend in California. Her name is Crystal Wapipaw. And I, I absolutely love being able to share meals with her. She cooks with so much beauty and color and flavors. I mean, I could go on and on. <laughs> we in there's all these different regions and all these different spaces. I was able to uh, go to Canada and and appreciate or, or to Canada to Alaska and appreciate uh, some of their indigenous foods there and the diversity that they have in that area is incredible. I mean, I think it would just be a wonderful long meal of about a hundred warriors (laughs) all sharing these ingredients and I think of them and I also think of the ingredients that they provide (laughs) and and I just I've had some meals like that and I've been blessed to say that you know I've had not only them cook for me but for me to be able to cook for them and to Mm -hmm. share those experiences and that that mindfulness, you know, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation when, when I talk about my grandmother, you talked about your um, mother's grandmother and, and how they took that time to, to cook with prayer. And for me, it's that spiritual connection and how much I get from that every time, every opportunity I have to cook uh, for my community and provide that nourishment. It's valuable and I look forward to future meals with whoever is welcome and and ends up at my table and being able to share that with them so I definitely appreciate being able to have meals with my good friends and inspiration really is what they are to me but I also look forward to being able to provide those meals for people I have not met yet yeah I love it and and it reminds me of something my uh, mother-in-law kind of says she with every meal, like she, you know, we, when we talk, she's like, this meal was destined to be on your table. You were destined to have this meal at this point, at this time in your life. Um, everything is pre- predetermined. Everything is, you know, written, written in the stars somewhere. And for whether you have people come over, um, you know, kind of just stop by and say hello, and you offer them a cup of chai, or you offer them a meal, that's already determined. They were supposed to be there they were supposed to share that meal so it's I don't know it's just it just feels like there's there's so much truth to what you've said in terms of it being spiritual like food being a spiritual journey and not just I mean you just just don't eat to survive I mean you do but yes when when you think about it in a different way you learn to appreciate every little thing that you put in your mouth Mm -hmm. yeah you know it's there for a reason and it's it's you're eating it for a reason and whatever that reason is you were meant that's it was meant to be right yes yes it's trusting the journey and taking a moment to appreciate that you know and in sharing it and creating those memories with those bites and and hopefully the next time you have wild rice you remember you know the friendship that was built from that first bite in the first oh absolutely (laughs) (laughs) absolutely i mean i knew then that i had to talk to you (laughs) 
Thank you so much, Chef Elena. This has been incredible. And like I said, I was dreaming of chatting with you even before we left the place. <laughs> so thank you for making my dream come true. Thank I, you for reaching out to me. I appreciate uh, the conversation always. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Culturally Ours. Check out the show notes at culturallyours.com. If you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to hit subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with your family and friends.